right. Hey, good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Uh, whenever this podcast catches you or you're catching this podcast, uh, I want to start off as usual by saying thanks for thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, joining joining me in this uh, conversation and this exercise in mental streaming, mental consciousness streaming. Uh, this is episode number eight. Episode number eight is a, uh, a key episode, and I'll tell you why. I've uh, been doing some research lately and trying to figure out, you know, basically just how to get better at this, right? I'm, I'm a type of guy that likes to improve at the things that I'm doing, and obviously I'm still well within the infancy of this podcast so i'm still just kind of like learning how to do it we had our first guest on last week uh, my buddy clint Rowe. it was a great episode seems like a lot of people listen to it um and i'm hoping a lot of those people found value in it which is exciting um but one thing that i came across that seems to be a uh, an interesting little trivia bit about podcasting is that there's something called the like the seven episode hump or something like that, uh, which basically means that most podcasts or most podcasters seem to kind of give it up after about seven episodes. So this being episode number eight, and last week being episode number seven, we had our first guest. Guest, I'm actually hoping that. Uh, this means that we'll we'll keep shooting past that and, and keep making you know making podcasts and doing these recordings and, and getting my thoughts out there and, and uh, we should be having some more guests on here in the coming weeks, which is exciting. I really had fun. I thought that conversation went well, um, and I look forward to doing it again with other people that I find interesting and that inspire me to try to be a better person. And uh, hopefully through that, through those conversations, you all can uh, can find value in that and find inspiration and take those little nuggets of wisdom and, and apply that into your own life. Uh, today, though, tonight, this episode, uh, I thought it appropriate to get past the, uh, the seven episode hump to kind of talk about some ideas that I have about resiliency, right? So... What does it take to be resilient? Why is it that some people are more resilient than others? And uh, how can we be more resilient in our own lives? I've done a little bit of research in this. Um, I am also uh, what's called Master Resiliency Trainer Level 1 certified, meaning I have been trained as a person that trains others within the uh, Army on principles of resiliency. Um, there's a, a great program that the Army has that was done in conjunction with the University of Pennsylvania. And for those of you that don't know, the University of Pennsylvania is kind of like the birthplace of positive psychology, what's called positive psychology. And this is where a lot of this research comes out of. Um, positive psychology is a field that was sort of headed by Dr. Martin Seligman, who at one point was the president of the American, uh, is it the American Psychology Association, American Psychiatry Association, the APA. And um, he sort of identified at one point that the field of psychology tends to, and I've talked about this on one of the other podcasts, tends to look at sort of what's wrong with people, right? I think that was... Maybe one of the one of the first episodes that I did, the second or third, maybe, um, where the field of psychology in general um, tends to focus on what's wrong with people, and yeah, we did talk about this and how if you look at it on a continuum, how you know that kind of gets a person from if zero is a baseline, gets them from a negative five to zero. Right. So then that's just back to sort of baseline status quo. Uh, I'm not depressed, but I'm not you know necessarily happy either. Right. I'm just existing. And so he, Martin Seligman, started talking about and conducting research on and developing programs dealing with positive psychology, which 
doesn't ignore the things that are wrong, right? Those things absolutely have to be dealt with, but focuses on what's right. And so that way we can take people from a zero or a plus one on, you know, to infinity, right? So certainly to like a plus five, but um, if we're looking at sort of a, a continue a continuum of happiness, um, there's there's no end to that, right? And that's done through sort of focusing on what's right and focusing on strengths and uh, looking at a world through that more positive lens and not just, again, not in a sense of like you're ignoring what's wrong or you're ignoring those things that um, aren't, you know, aren't pleasant in life because certainly that's a very real aspect of the human experience. Um, but it's it's a matter of not dwelling on those and certainly it's a matter of, you know, focusing, placing focus on the things that you do well, the things that are going right in life and ensuring that those are acknowledged and then lifted up and bolstered so as to create more of that, right? And I think that's pretty powerful. And I think that also speaks to this idea of resiliency. Um, and, and that's why Dr. Seligman was sort of like the key key author and key sponsor of this program of, of the MRT program. And so when you graduate that, the level one, level, there's also, I, I want to say there's three levels, maybe four. Um, but when you, when you graduate that course, you, the certificate that you get absolutely has the University of Pennsylvania seal because that's who developed the program. And then sort of what's charged with how do we bring this as a concept to the force uh, within you know the United States Army that uh, at the time when it was first brought about and we first started seeing it, you know, was something like a million soldiers strong um, between you know active duty reserves, National Guard, what have you. It's a great program. Um, it really, really helps a lot of people get through some very trying times. And as you might imagine, um, as soldiers, certainly during the height of the war, dealing with um, you know, PTSD or dealing with some serious traumatic events, tragic loss, um, everything, you know, from simply being separated from their families to having their friends and loved ones killed in action to having to take lives themselves and then coming back and just, you know, having to reintegrate with society. It can be very difficult for some. And so this was a way in which, um, uh, the army as a program of record was able to very much take proactive steps in ensuring that as physically fit as soldiers are, um, they are as much mentally fit so that they can deal with the stressors of war and still, you know, and not succumb to, you know, their post-traumatic stress or depression or what have you and start, you know, acting out in counterproductive or self-destructive behaviors and really looking at healthy, positive ways of dealing with different stressors and, and certainly those related to combat, but also just generally in life as we all have stressors, whether that's, you know, a breakup, whether that's loss of a loved one, whether it's a financial hardship, um, you know, whatever it might be, uh, you didn't get a promotion, you know, any any number of things that cause stress in life, um, how we deal with that matters very much, right? And how we deal with stress in life really, A, uh, very much molds our worldview and molds our interaction with the world. Um, and then also continue sort of like continues down the line and then feeds into you know whether or not we generally have a you know a positive or at least a realistic view of the world or we constantly sort of catastrophize and live our worlds as though the sky is falling with everything that goes wrong we constantly are just sort of like hanging out in a pity party and woe is me and why does this happen to me and blaming everybody else for for my problems or blaming the world or blaming you know a higher being or whatever it is asking the universe why is this always happening to me um it, how how you deal with stress in life 
really is going to a build upon itself and sort of um, you know create more of that same mentation, but also very much reveals a a lot about a person's character, right? How they deal with situations when the shit hits the fan, when everything goes wrong, um, really, really reveals a lot about a person's character. Luckily, these are things that we can relearn or we can learn anew um, or we can start training our brains to have a a more productive, positive, beneficial outlook on life or beneficial, productive way of dealing with hardships, of dealing with negative situations um, than maybe we, we would naturally have. And a lot of that, interestingly enough, comes down to, you know, something I've talked about before where it, very, it comes down to you know, self-talk, right? A, a lot of times, a lot of it comes down to uh, everything that goes on. Ba- everything that goes on goes on in the mind when it comes to how we look at the world, right? It's all our thoughts, right? Our thoughts sort of feed our actions, and our actions are you know the behaviors that we exhibit, right? And so. It's one of those things where it's like resiliency resides in the mind, right? Resiliency resides in the mind and how we think about things and the self-talk and what we tell ourselves about situations is really what's going to inform our behaviors and what's going to direct our behaviors. And so when when things go wrong, you know, are we telling ourselves that you know, this is just, you know, something that's always going to be uh, things always bad, you know, bad things always happen to me. They never happen to anybody else. Uh, I'm just cursed. Uh, I'll, I'll never recover from whatever this hardship is. You know, they, those sorts of thoughts, right? If those are the sorts of thoughts that, that, you know, I'm having every time something goes wrong, well, then that's basically like how I'm going to view the world. And so the the problem with that is that a not only is that not correct, right? Like bad things happen to absolutely everybody. One hundred percent of the people in this world that are alive or not that have ever lived have had bad things. Multiple of them happen to them, right? So you're not alone in in that. You're not alone in the sense of bad things happen to you. I, I guarantee they do. But bad things happen to everybody. And having a more realistic view when it comes to these things is what's going to help you get through them, right? And so, um, you know, I was, I was, I listened to a, t- a TED talk not too long ago. Um, it was by a, a woman named uh, Lucy Hone. Uh, she's, uh, uh, I, I actually, I believe she's, I believe she's a PhD. Um, I could be wrong. Uh, at the time of the TED Talk, I believe, like I know she had mentioned she was doing her doctorate work, um, so I can only m- I assume that she finished that. Um, however, you know, her name was Lucy Holmes. It was a great TED Talk. Um, and she sort of like put it out there as far as three characteristics that she sees that um, are really sort of, you know, are, are a trend amongst the people that are resilient. Uh, and the first one she says is that exactly as we've just been talking about, where like the first skill is sort of like recognizing that hardship, tragedy, um, you know, bad things happening to you, all of that sort of thing are, are 100% a natural part of life. Um, I guarantee if, you know, you were to poll a, a group of people and just ask them, you know, about different bad things that could happen, right? Like, and just go through it. How many of you have ever been depressed? How many of you have ever lost a loved one? How many of you have ever lost a job? How many of you have ever um, dealt with, you know, uh, you know, a miscarriage or gotten in a car accident or missed a promotion, got fired, um, you know, any number of things, got, you know, known someone or you yourself had, 
you know, a cancer diagnosis, like any, any number of these very tragic things that can happen, uh, by the end of, of questioning about that, regardless of the size of the room, there's all, there's a guarantee that, you know, 90%, if not all of the people will be standing, right? If you ask them to stand up, if they're sitting or raise their hand or whatever, um, and that's because tragedy is, is ju- it's part of it. It's part of life, right? And as sort of morose as it may sound, where you just have to accept that that's a part of life, it's very true. And, and I've talked about this before, and we talked about this with, uh, with the growth mindset um, with Dr. Dr. Dweck, um, where she recognized that uh, you know people with a growth mindset – have a, a much more realistic view of their capabilities, of what they're good at and what they're bad at, uh, where their skill sets stand. It seems to be the case too, and that's also why they're able to sort of go forward and deal with failure in a productive way and learn from it. Well, it seems to be the case as well when we talk about resiliency, right? Uh, but this time, you know, it's in the sense of like realizing that tragedy bad things happening, unfortunate circumstance, those are a part of life, right? But what differentiates the resilient from from the non-resilient is the way in which they process that information, right? And the way in which uh, a resilient person will recognize that this is a part of, of the human experience and this is part of what it means to be alive and exist in the world and not to commiserate in it and not to wallow in hardship or, or tragedy. Uh, allow for it, absolutely. Allow for the emotions that go along with that, but don't let that control every aspect of your being that then drives you into depression or drives you into self-destructive behaviors or drives you into just having like this morose, the sky is dark with my depression kind of attitude. Um, but recognizing that you know, the feelings that are associated with whatever the tragedy is are temporary. And I mean, it may be a long time before you can fully process it, you know, especially in the case of like death of a loved one. It might be, it, it could be years, right? The, the research says that it's usually somewhere in the neighborhood of five years before someone really truly sort of moves on from the tragic loss of a close loved one. Right, and whether that's a sibling, a parent, a child, in the worst case, um, the the research shows that it's about five years that that those feelings of utter despair um, sort of have finally sort of dissipated, and you can and, and you can sort of uh, cope with it a little bit better. And that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be five years. It just means that's you know. A, a typical timeline, especially for something like loss of a child or loss of a close sibling or something to that effect. Um, and so recognizing that those tragedies are just a part of life helps you in processing it, understanding it, and then dealing with it and acting appropriately when those tragedies do happen. Um, and so then the, the second thing was really just sort of like um being discerning and deliberate in where your focus is when these bad things happen, right? And being sure that, you know, when you're focused, when, when, when tragedy strikes or, or when something very unfortunate happens to you, that the focus isn't placed on that tragic event unduly. And so what do I mean by that? Um, so in this, in, in the case of, of uh, Lucy Hone, she had, uh, she, she relayed a story where um, her 12-year-old daughter had, had gone with a friend, another 12-year-old girl, and they were being driven by her friend's parent uh, her friend's mom, I believe, who was a close friend of Lucy's, and uh, they were going somewhere, and someone ran a stop sign and hit them and, and instantly killed all three of them. And so you can imagine that 
you know, losing, losing a child, losing anyone, losing a child, um, you know, and, and her losing her 12 year old daughter, have that would just be absolutely devastating. And, you know, she being someone that researches resiliency and is teaching the classes on resiliency and worked with Dr. Seligman and, and all of that instantly finds herself on the receiving end of, uh, of, of the training and of sort of like the, the pamphlets that, you know, help with how to deal with tragedy and all this. And, and she found them sort of lacking, right? And she found them wanting and, um, it was hard for her. She she describes it being very hard for her to sort of accept what they were telling her, accept the the coping mechanisms and things like that. And and you know that's that's understandable, right? Like you just you you lose your child like that. Um, it's it's there's not it's not going to not affect you, right? It's going to have a major effect and it's not something that you can just rubber stamp with science and just be like yeah well the science says just keep looking for the good stuff and and you'll be better um you have to process that that's that's not something that can just be brushed away there has to be time given to that and time to process that and eventually what she she said really helped her along um was this idea that or one of the things that really helped her along was the idea that you can't lose what you have to what you've lost right and so it's like she still you know she had two other other children at the house that deserved to have her attention and deserved to be given um you know all the love that that they are warranted as her children as well and deserved to be given a chance at the you know best and most normal life that they could be, uh, given that circumstances, as well as having her you know their parents around to help them through this hard time as well. And so you know she also had her her husband and the rest of her extended family and everything. And so for her, um, one of the things that really helped her was saying you know this idea that. If I'm just wallowing in the sorrow of this loss and I'm commiserating constantly in the sorrow of this loss and that's where I am living, right? That's where I'm living my life. Then A, I'm not only am I never going to get out of that pit of despair uh, and I'm just going to keep, you know, digging that, digging that trench down further, but then also I'm going to lose all the other positive things that I do have in my life. And I'm going to lose them to this tragedy, which is only going to then exacerbate that and expound that exponentially. So now not only did I lose my daughter, but now I've lost the rest of my family because I'm trapped in this this pit of despair that I can't pull myself out of. And that has to do with sort of with self-talk, right? And with what's going on in the inner monologue and, you know, getting out of the the habits and getting out of those those traps, those mental traps of thinking that, you know, this is, you know, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to, why did it have to be my child? Why, um, you know, why does, why does God hate me? Why does the, the universe hate me? What, what did we ever do to deserve this, right? Those sorts of things. That sort of talk is extremely counterproductive, as natural as it is. And I certainly don't mean to diminish anybody that has gone through something extremely tragic like that and, and, and had that sort of self-talk. It's natural. It's gonna, it's, you've gone through an extreme tragedy and the mind takes, takes time to process that. There comes a point at which we have to pull ourselves out of the, the negative self-talk traps so that we can start refocusing and deliberately focusing our attention and our efforts towards the good that we do have in life and the positive aspects that still exist within our lives in the face of whatever the great tragedy is. And that's the, a key skill that leads people to being resilient and getting over tragedy and dealing with loss and dealing with 
um, you know, bad events that happen, whether that's the loss of a loved one, whether that's, um, you know, your house burned down, whether that's simply, you know, you, or you got in a car accident and now you've got to pay for this or um, you didn't get the promotion that you wanted or whatever it might be, you know, um, how we talk to ourselves in light of those situations makes a difference and how long we're going to stay with that how long we're going to stay with that tragedy and how long we're going to live in that that negative situation and whether or not that's where we're going to exist or whether or not we decide that that's something that happened to me and I'll I'll get to a little bit later about the difference between living in the past and living in the present so the third thing that that Lucy Hone talked about um, as, a, as another thing that very, very much helped her get through tragedy. Um, and, I, and I really think that it's a, it, this is a powerful, powerful tool that anybody can use. I mean, all of this is, is, any, is things that anybody can do, right? It takes some deliberate action. It takes, it takes some, some discipline, some willpower. Um, but this one especially really can really puts you in control and puts you in the driver's seat of your behaviors especially but then also puts you in the driver's seat and retakes control of your of your mentation and of your thought your your thought processes and your lines of reasoning right and that that is to ask yourself honestly if what you're doing whatever it is you're doing is helping or hurting yourself and when you ask yourself that whatever it is that you're doing and this really could be anything in life, right? This doesn't necessarily mean direct relation to a tragedy that happened or direct relation to something bad happened, but even just in general, right? When you ask yourself whether or not whatever it is you're doing is helping you or hurting you, is it helping your cause or hurting your cause? Is it furthering you down a productive line or is it furthering you down a self-destructive line? Then... And you answer that honestly, right? Be honest. This is this is the biggest thing. You have to be honest with yourself. Excuse me, but when you when you ask that question and you answer it honestly, you can take control of your behaviors. You can take control of your emotional state. You can take control of your thought patterns and your thought processes. And you can really change that inner monologue to match the behaviors that you're exhibiting to match your desired end states, right? And so this could be anything from pursuing a goal that you have, um, whether that's a fitness goal, whether that's a, uh, you know, you want to you wanna build, uh, build a new fence in the backyard or you want to start a business or you want to write a book, or you want to you know, start eating better, you know, drinking out, you know, drinking less alcohol, whatever it might be. You want to uh, really start going after that promotion at work, or you want to really stop wallowing in your sorrow and stop living in your pit of despair. You know that that was dug through whatever tragedy it was that hit. Uh, an example that, that Lucy used was her going through old photo albums um, of, of her daughter, right? And, you know, it's, it's fine, like, to, to spend some time and reminisce and look through those. But what she was doing and the way in which she was doing it was unproductive. And it was causing her to really just sit with that tragedy and sit with that loss and begin down the... the you know, self-talk line of, of why did this happen to me and why did this have to happen and just sit there and cry. And when she started, when she would do this, there came a point at which she started asking herself, is what I'm doing helping or hurting me? And there came a point where it's like, no, for her, she recognized that what she was doing was no longer helping 
and it was hurting. And so it was time for her to, you know, close the photo album, put it away and go to bed um, and, and, you know, start the next day anew, what have you. Right. And and it's that's why that is so powerful. Right. So she's someone that that lost her daughter. She's processing that loss. She's still dealing with it some years later. And she's going through and she finds herself just sort of wallowing and crying as she's looking at these pictures. And you can picture this woman, right, like sitting with this despair and then asking herself, am what is, am, am, is what I am doing helping me or hurting me at this point? And for her, it was hurting because it was causing her to fall back into that, 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 a bad place that just, you know, is hard to get out of. But by asking that question, it brings the light. It snapped her out of it and it allowed her to take control of her actions, put away the photo album. You know, it doesn't mean throw it away. It certainly doesn't mean get rid of it. It just means for now, I'm going to put this away. I'm going to, you know, get take control of my actions again, sit with my thoughts a little bit, go to bed and continue to process it. Right. And so that's where, you know, anytime you're trying to do anything, though. Right. And that's why I say that this one in particular, asking yourself whether or not whatever you're doing is helping or hurting you, especially if you say it out loud. Right. A lot of this type of stuff, if you actually say it out loud, it has that much more impact. Right. It's one thing to say it in your mind and have that inner monologue. It's another thing to vocalize it, A, and then hear it. Be, right instead of just think it. Um, it it sort of it brings a reality to it and it forces you to acknowledge it as a question and then it forces you to answer it as well and as long as you're able to be honest with yourself and say you know hey either yes it is uh, helping or no this is hurting me you know and if it is hurting you then you can change the behavior because now you're in control you acknowledge what you're doing you're the one doing it, so you get to make the choice of what your next action is going to be. And so if this is, you know, you're trying to lose weight, you're trying to get, you know, stronger in the gym, hey, you're about to pick up that donut. Is this helping me or hurting me? Is this helping me achieve my goals or, or hurting me in that endeavor? Driving me further away. It's probably hurting me. It's a way in which you can sort of force discipline on yourself in that way as well. Right. And then that's where that resiliency comes in, because you can deal with the situation in a realistic manner and you can recognize where the bad things are and take control of your own thoughts, thereby taking control of your actions and your behaviors and and living a better life through that. Um, The you know, there was there was a couple of other things that I've really sort of. liked and and heard and and studied a little bit but within this line of you know taking control of our thoughts and taking control of our actions resiliency really does you know like i said before resiliency resides in the mind right resiliency resides in the mind and it really comes down to how we process respond to and act as it relates to negative impacts in life right um, there's, you know, there's the idea here that's embedded in this. That's like, it's, it's easy to deal with, with good things happening, right? Like, Hey, you won the lottery. You got the promotion that came with a, a 30% raise. Um, you know, you, you found, uh, you found some money in some of your pants, right? You were, you were doing some wash and you pulled out a $20 bill or a $5 bill or whatever it might be. Um, like those are, that's good. That's awesome. That's easy to deal with, right? You got a, you got a call from a loved one you hadn't heard from in a while. That's awesome. That's easy to deal with. Resiliency comes from dealing with in a productive manner, negative impacts that happen, negative events that happen in your life. Right. And so as long as we you know stand by the tenets of of recognizing that bad things happen in life and recognizing that we control our own thoughts and we control our actions 
right? We might not be able to control our immediate reactions to stuff, but we certainly control how we think about things. And by that, you know, I mean that sometimes, you know, our initial thought about something might be negative, right? Something bad happens. It might be an initial reaction to be like, oh man, here we go again. Why me? This always happens to me. But as soon as that happens, you have a choice to take control of that and be like, ah, hold up, Grant, you know, hold up, self. Um, this is just something that happened, right? This isn't, this isn't who I am. This is something that happened to me. It's okay to acknowledge that you were a victim, but what's not okay is owning the sense of being a victim. And so there's, there's, a, there's a small distinction there, right? There's a small distinction there that is, is rooted in, in the past versus the present, right? The, it's rooted in what happened to me in the past, happened to me and I acknowledge it and I acknowledge that was bad versus this is who I am in the present, and this is who I strive to be going forward, right? So it's like, yes, I was a victim of that whatever happened, whether it was violence, whether it was a tragic event, whether it was an unfortunate occurrence, you know, whatever happened, that happened. And you were a victim of that, that negative, negative event. The difference here is not allowing that to define who you are. And staying in control of the idea that I am still me, I am still a person that has has faculty over over or control over my faculties, that I am not simply the sum of my experience, right? I am not simply a victim of whatever happened in the past. But I am someone that's going to go forward and recognize how to make the next moment better. How do I make the next moment better? The next day better than the last? If we keep it in mind that tomorrow can be better and we keep hope alive that tomorrow can be better, not only tomorrow can be better, but tomorrow will be better. And that has shown to be just immensely important in processing, understanding, and dealing with tragedy, with hardship, with you know the, the bad things that happen in life. Hope, optimism, these are the things that have been shown in study after study after study to be some of the key factors in what staves off depression and what staves off self-destructive behaviors and what bolsters relationships, right? And when not only that, but like when you're optimistic and you have better relationships with others, there's also this symbiotic thing whereby those relationships actually also improve your life, right? This is why they have studies that show people, you know, People that are, are in meaningful relationships tend to live longer than people that are not. Um, but there's also those things, and I think I've talked about them before, where it's been shown in, in many studies where those people that actively display feelings and behaviors of optimism also tend to live longer and more fulfilled lives, right? And this goes back to you know finding purpose and and, and sort of staving off that big, dark, negative cloud that comes with a negative mentation and negative self-talk, right? When we show optimism and we, uh, we acknowledge the things that are positive in life, then those things will continue to illuminate themselves more and show themselves more in our, in our day-to-day because we recognize it. We're looking for it. So there's, a, there's an exercise that... Um, is is done 
in in the MRT training, and it's really sort of one of the tenets of just positive psychology in general, and really has been shown to increase resiliency because it improves that positive mentation. And that's basically like looking for and acknowledging those those good things that happen in life, um, you know, big or small, right? And and I've talked about this before, where uh, you know, you you acknowledge two or three things that that went well in your life, right? Um, in your day to day, and whether this is a daily exercise, and really for someone going through and trying to process a major tragedy, uh, it might be a good idea to do this daily, right? And maybe even multiple times daily, but certainly um, either you know at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day, preferably at the end of the day, because you have a recap, uh, whereby. You know, what are three things that went right today? Um, you know, I, I had breakfast with the family. I, uh, the car had gas in it. I made it to work on time. I got a workout in. I uh, had a good conversation with an old friend. I uh, had, a, had a good dinner or a healthy lunch or whatever it was. You know, it doesn't have to be anything crazy. There was hot water. I got a, I got a nice shower in. Uh, has some clean clothes, found an extra dollar in my wallet. You know, it doesn't have to be anything earth shattering, but the more that you do it, the more that it becomes habit, the more that that starts to be the lens through which you view your life when you start focusing on those positive things. So this isn't, this isn't a way to discount, avoid, um, you know, not not acknowledge the negative things that happen, but it's a way in which you can be purposeful in acknowledging that there is good in your life. And this is especially true and especially important for people that are dealing with depression, that are people with dealing with some sort of tragedy or loss or, or hardship that they're going through, uh, because it's easy to fall into the trap of everything's going wrong, life's never going to improve, and, uh, you know, I, I'm just this piece of shit that's here and my life sucks. That's not helpful, right? A- ask, your, you know, ask yourself the question, is this mentation, is this line of thinking hurting me or helping me? When I'm sitting there and I'm just wallowing in all the things and woe is me and, and you know, pity party one going on, is this helping me or hurting me? And maybe that's, you know, in the in the short term, it's something that you need to just do and process and get over with. Um, that way you can just get past it and then you can start looking at the positive things and finding those silver linings. But when that becomes the habit and when that becomes the way in which you view everything, then, then this is the way in which you view everything. And this is what clouds your vision of the world and why people become pessimists. And why they never think anything's going to work out. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Well, I'm never going to get the promotion or I'm never going to, if I just, if I try to do that to the house, it's going to ruin everything. Or if, uh, you know, my kids are never going to get into the good school or what, you know, whatever, right? And this is because this is what you start vocalizing into the world. And this is the message that you're sending out. And then this is the way in which you, you know, act accordingly because that that mindset drives your behaviors well if you've already given up and you already think things aren't going to work out and you already think the worst is always going to happen then obviously the effort that you're going to put into anything is going to have that tinge to it and then it's not going to be a full-throated effort or a full-throated endorsement of whatever or or you know you're not really going to be trying your hardest to accomplish whatever goal you have set because you've already decided that it's going to fail. But on the other hand, if you have that resiliency and recognize that even if something does fail in the beginning, that doesn't that's not the end. Right? And failure is a chance to learn or that even though you failed, that's okay. There are other good things that are still going on and maybe there's other opportunities and, um, you know, you look at, well, hey, that went wrong, but at least I learned a lot from it. Then that means that you'll continue trying and you'll eventually reach your goal because effort will be there 
and you'll still believe in yourself and you'll still believe that good things can happen. And because you believe that and because you at least speak that to the world, that your actions will follow suit. And so it's not a matter of just like, oh, well, I said something good's going to happen. And so God's going to come down and just make it so like that's that's not that's not how it works. Right. Like you're still going to have to try. But the effort that you're going to put out by having a positive mentality about it and a positive outlook and a realistic view of what is and isn't possible, uh, that is what's going to then drive your efforts and then drive the success and make you know make you aware of where you need to zig or zag or what have you. Um, there's there's uh, this thing where in in uh, Shaolin um, Shaolin beliefs, right? Uh, there was a there was a, a gentleman by the name of Master Shi Heng Yi that talks about uh, three kinds of destructive beliefs. And he talks about, you know, one unhealthy belief is, is our belief about ourselves, right? And, and our feelings of self-pity and it, our feelings of, of being, you know, feeling sorry for ourselves. And this is this sort of self-destructive, unhealthy belief really is what keeps us stuck in that, in that trench, that, that, that trench of pity, right? The well of sorrow, it keeps us down there and it prevents us from finding a solution. And so this is what I was talking about when, you know, we have this negative outlook on life and we have this, uh, this inner monologue that constantly looks at things as though they've already failed. Well, that's going to build a weak mindset and that's going to make you less resilient when things do fail because now it becomes, you know, falls into the confirmation bias trap of like, see, I said it was going to fail and then it did. Well, maybe it did partly because that's what you believe. And so your efforts sort of led to that instead of recognizing that it doesn't have to fail, although it might. And then as things start to go wrong, be able to adjust instead of simply letting them fail because you've already decided that that's what's going to happen. And so when you have that negative self-talk and that pity that prevents you from finding and looking actively looking for solutions, when the self-talk looks like, no, this is just the, how the world always treats me. No, this, these are the things that just always happen to me. I always fail. This is just how my life is. It's just bad. Well, then clearly you're not even looking for solutions. And in fact, you're actively looking for ways to keep you down in that pit of sorrow and to keep you from succeeding. And so when the bad things happen, that's just where you stay and why you stay with them. And you're unable to move past them because the self-talk is keeping you there. And those unhealthy beliefs that this is life and it's just there's, there's no getting out of whatever the tragedy is. Then that's where you're going to stay because that's where you want to stay through that self-talk. That's what you're telling yourself. And so this is something that I kind of alluded to before where it's like sometimes we have to tell ourselves what to think when our mind is telling us stuff that we don't need to hear. That was an idea that came from a man named Charles Hunt. Uh, he talks about growing up in a, in a rough spot in, in Oakland, California as a kid. Um, his dad was a pimp, went to jail, died in jail. His mom was a drug addict, unfortunately. She ended up in jail, all of these sorts of things. And he actually ended up becoming very successful in life. First person to graduate college, first person in his family to, uh, in his family to graduate college, to go on to get you know a, a graduate degree, to start a business, all of these sorts of things. And he's done, he's had some personal experience with dealing with tragedy. He's had some personal experience overcoming tragedy and being resilient. And one, this is one of the truths that he came to was that sometimes we need to tell ourselves what to think 
when our mind is telling us things we don't need to hear. And that's that negative self-talk I've been talking about. And that's that negative, unhealthy belief in ourselves or about ourselves that we need to move past. The second thing that uh, Master Yi talked about was the unhealthy belief of others, right? And thinking that others can control us and that we give away our power so easily. And so things, and it doesn't necessarily mean others as in other people, but others as in also other situations. For instance, oh, I'm going to have to work late. Right. Hey, and maybe you do, but that's still a choice. And maybe you should work late so that you can catch up on whatever you've gotten behind on. But it's still a choice to do so. And in not doing so, maybe there are consequences. But in saying that I have to, you're giving up your power. Or in saying something like, man, that person really always just drives me crazy. I hate that person. They really just make me feel, you know, bad all the time. Again, this is, this is giving up power. This is giving up the self in the sense of we choose how we respond to others, right? We, we choose to let another person get under our skin and we choose to let that other person and that other person's actions, behaviors, thoughts affect us and we choose to dwell on that. And get us riled up and get us angry and get us sad and get us emotional more than is necessary. And if we were able to control that more and we were able to take more, <coughs> excuse me, more positive control of what we're thinking and how we're behaving, understanding that I can't control the behaviors of others. I can only control my own behavior. I can't control the thoughts of others. I can only control my own thoughts. And I control my thoughts and my behaviors about others and what their behaviors are telling me or informing me about them. And if there's somebody that is behaving in a way or acting in a way that you don't like, that's fine. Don't engage with that person. Or engage with that person in a controlled manner in which you take control of your behaviors and your thoughts. And wait for the moment for it to be productive or not. If it's, say, someone, a coworker, or colleague that you have to have interactions with. And you can take control of your behaviors and your thoughts as it relates to the other person by expressing exactly how you feel when that other person is, is acting a certain way. If that person makes you angry, offends you makes you sad, what have you, you can address that, right? Rather than simply sitting with it, sitting with that anger, sitting with that, that negative emotion. But when you sit with it and you allow that person to continue to affect you, continue to affect you and continue to allow your thoughts to ruminate around that, to commiserate in it and to just simply focus on that. We talked earlier about resilient people are discerning and where they place their focus, right? And when we place our focus on something that irritates us and we give up our control of our emotions by allowing that to be our focus and allowing that thing that irritates us or makes us angry or whatever it is, we've given that up. We've given ourselves up to that. And we've done that through this unhealthy belief about others that they can control us. And usually that is not the case. And then, so lastly, we have unhealthy beliefs about the world. Right? And this, this is one of those things where when we believe that the world owes us something, that becomes unhealthy. Right? Like, hey, I've put the work in. I deserve this promotion. I deserve this good thing to happen. Because I, I did the work. The unfortunate reality is that the world is not fair. The unfortunate reality is that the world, the universe, kind of doesn't care. But when we can accept that as the way of the world, right? And we still take our purposeful actions and we still take our deliberate steps towards achieving our goals. Then when it doesn't work out, we hit those roadblocks and we hit those failure points we can, we can deal with that in a productive way rather than simply being angry, being fed up, 
being defeatist about the fact that I did this, I put in this effort and it didn't work out, even though I deserved to win or whatever it was, because that's what the world owes me. Because my, my belief about the world is that when I do this, I get that. But that's not necessarily the case. And we see, we see that time and time again in life, right? And that, you know, that brings up the point of, of how we look at these things and how we look at this realistically will sort of inform us inform our our behaviors and drive us to either being more resilient or less resilient. And the way that we can look at the world and realize that the world just is, right? The world's not good. The world's not bad. The world just is. And we take control of our actions accordingly. And we take control of our actions in line with obviously established laws and, and, and social norms and what have you, but we take control of who we are and our actions. And when tragedy strikes and when failure points hit and when hardship rears its ugly head, we recognize that this is a part of life and we can deal with this. We're prepared for this. We've prepared for hardship. We know that this was a possibility. And now that this has happened, we can move past it. What are the next steps that I need to take? Are those next steps hurting me or helping me? Are those next steps positive or negative? Are those are these things that are going to make the next moment better or worse? And these are things that we can ask ourselves. And these are things that when we answer them can then drive our next behaviors. And really keep us on the path of goal achievement. Keep us on the path of processing and understanding tragedy that came through. Right? Acknowledge emotion. Acknowledge emotion. Process it. Deal with it. Have it. Right? You can't ignore it. When you ignore emotion, when you just sort of brush those emotions under the the rug, they don't go away. It doesn't get better by simply ignoring it. Right? When bad things happen, acknowledge it. That made me feel sad. That really angered me. It's fine to acknowledge that. And in fact, you should acknowledge that and you should allow for those emotions to happen. Crying is okay. If you feel you need to cry, it's okay. But when you start having that identify, being who you are and being how you identify, I'm the person that's sad, right? When you start introducing yourself as the person that this bad thing happened to. And that becomes your defining characteristic. Well, then that means you're never going to move past that. And you're constantly going to live your life in that tragedy. And that is exactly opposite of resiliency. Resiliency is acknowledging it, processing it, understanding it, dealing with it, and moving past it. Not allowing whatever that negative event was to define who you are. Be your own person. Be your own person. Be someone that can deal with tragedy, that can deal with hardship and keep moving forward. And it doesn't mean some false bravado. It doesn't mean false happiness. When bad things happen, they're sad. You deal with it. You ask yourself, are my next behaviors helping me or hurting me? You ask yourself, well, what do I still have that's positive in my life? And take an honest assessment. Don't just ask it flippantly and be like, well, no, nothing. Everything is bad. My life is bad because that's not true. It might be small things at first that you're able to recognize, but recognizing them is extremely important and moving past whatever that negative occurrence was, whatever that tragedy was, recognizing that there is still positivity in your life is going to help you get past that. And that's going to build that resiliency within yourself, knowing that there's hope. Knowing that there's something to be optimistic about. Knowing that there's a light at the end of the tunnel of this dark, dark thing that happened. There is hope. There is light. There is love. And you can work past it. You believe in that. You believe in yourself. You can deal with anything life throws at you. And that is what it means to be resilient. Hey, thanks everybody. I appreciate the listen. I appreciate the support. 
tell your friends. Tell your friends about this podcast. Hopefully, uh, they'll they'll find value in it. Hopefully, you found value in it. Uh, we got the support button. We've got the subscribe button. I really thank you for your time. And I hope that you can take some of these ideas and take some of these thoughts. And the next time something bad happens to you, I hope you can incorporate some of this into your life and get past that that negative occurrence, whatever it was. All right, everybody. Good night. Be good to each other. Be well. Take care. Bye-bye.